I just now started a new trend. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, sir. Good, thank you. Make sure I have new notes this morning. So, yes, Eric, I, I hope I am prepared this morning. Um, as we get started this morning, I have a question, Bible question. Um, then your wife, I'm just going to put spare notes on that. Is this a quiz, a pop quiz? Yeah, pop quiz, I guess, with one question for you. Uh, you don't have to answer right now, okay? Just be thinking about it. Uh, how many apostles were there founding the church? How many apostles were there? Okay. Answer that around. There were 12 channels. Thank you. Thank you, teacher. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, teacher. Yeah. 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 Thank you, teacher. So he's, he's looking for that trick uh, trap door. Every class has that one student, you know. That, it, it's usually a class clown, too. <laughs> I didn't say that. No, I was going to say there are wise men and then there are wise guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <there you> go. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, uh, that's, I mean, it's a good, a good point, you know. Um, was Judas an apostle? An apostle? Oh. We're going to talk so, talk a little bit about that, but let's um, let's let's count. Let's do it this way. Let's count his spot as one of the twelve. We know that he was replaced by Matthias, right? Right. Um, okay. So if we if we say there are twelve, are there any more? Yes, Paul. 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 Yep. So what's the total now? Thirteen. Thirteen. Depends on how you do this. <laughs> So, what's your final answer, class? Thirteen, including them all. Okay. No, fourteen. Yes, right. Fourteen. Oh, yes, fourteen. That's, that's right. You're right, Gloria. Who's the fourteen? Matthias. Well, if we if we count. Yeah, but if we count, if we count Judas's office, yeah. not the man, but the office. Oh, the office. Okay. And it's, he's replaced with Matthias. Oh. Who's the 14? Because you're right, he's 14. Well, he said Paul. Oh, there's somebody after Paul? What before Paul? Before Paul. 
Oh, we said Matthias. Oh, John the Baptist. John, yeah. No, no. Barnabas? Huh. As soon as I say it, you're going to be like, okay. What's the start with? I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Jesus. Well, I was going to say Jesus, but he was he was the teacher. Yeah. But we're going to look at that, okay? That's, that's, he's the often overlooked, but, but he is called the great high priest and apostle. Uh, Hebrews. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because we, we don't often count him among the apostles, but he was the original and really the greatest of the apostles. When you look at what that word means, what the function of that office is, he absolutely yeah. preeminently qualifies right. for that. Yeah. It's an interesting little, little point there, too. Gotta get get your get your oatmeal servings going, right? Oatmeal. Yeah. Well, it's hard for us all to be the teacher's favorite when you're gonna have difficult questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Erica. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Erica, you can you can redeem yourself by opening some prayer. Okay. <laughs> Dear Father in heaven, we are very thankful to be here. Thank you that um your Holy Spirit is here with us, instructing each and every one of us in the way that we need to be instructed. And through your word and your truth, and we're very thankful for that. Thank you for Pete's studies in this. And um, thank you for teaching us, not just leaving us where we are, but you guide us. And we are very thankful for that. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Um, may the the uh, things that we say and do this morning be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. <clears throat> Our topic this morning is as we as we kind of set the stage for the next section uh, in chapter 13, John 13 is um you know as i was preparing for this and everything i was just like man can we go back to the washing of the feet you know can, can we get can we go back to the love of jesus and, and we will okay he's got so many wonderful things to unpack with them over the next uh um, three and a half chapters or so okay and then we get to the high priestly prayer and your mind is just going to be boom Exploded, right? Okay. Um, but in the midst of this upper room discourse, there are these shadows, and there, there are going to be some more of them coming. So halfway through 15, he's going to start talking to them. You know, 14, everything you know is all these wonderful words about let not your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm the vine, you're the branches, and that, you know, all of that, that type of thing. About halfway through all of this. Wonderful promises, talking about the Holy Spirit coming, all of these benefits and things. Uh, then about halfway through, the world is going to, the world hated me, it's going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to, they're going to kill you. you. Think they're doing God's service, right? Um, and so there are these, there are these shadows. And, and so we've hit, we've already hit one in, in, in verse two, right? That right in the middle of, of John introducing this section, talking about the glorious, uh, beautiful, immeasurable love of, of God in Christ, uh, there's this verse about Judas, right? 
contrasted against the selfless love of Jesus. And uh, and we hit another one of those. Um, and so this topic this morning is on apostasy um, because it's important when we look at the life of Judas to understand this term because Judas is not unique, right? Oh, that he were. But in church history, uh, even, even Jesus himself, as we're going to see in these notes, uh, throughout church history, there have always been many apostates, okay? And now as we, um, there's a lot to say about it, and I'm trying to keep the notes fairly, very small, you know, we could almost write a little booklet on this one subject. In fact, many books haven't written. <clears throat> but uh, what I don't want you to is think about it again this morning, reviewing all this, um, I, I don't want to come away with the definition of apostasy as somebody who necessarily has completely walked away from the Christian faith, given God the finger, and choose to live life on their terms rather than his, completely and openly, okay? That includes those people. But what, what I think Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament are warning us most against are the apostates who remain in the church. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the, really kind of the shift or, or the slant of, of this little uh, narrative that I put together is, is really to, to help us unpack that a little bit in scripture and talk about it. Um, because, and again, Judas is that archetypal uh, model for that because he was part of the 12, right? He was... He wasn't just one of the other disciples, and there were others besides the 12 who followed Jesus, right? We know that some of them were women, but there were other men as well. We're going to look at uh, a little bit at Matthias, right? And Matthias and at least one other man uh, met the qualifications to have walked with the Lord enough and to have seen him post-resurrection to qualify as, a, as an apostle or to qualify to replace Judas in his office of apostle, Okay. Um, so what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that um, Judas wasn't he was he was picked out of the you might say that total pool of believers who all were sincere and who all loved the Lord and were genuine believers Jesus called 12 unique ones out of that pool okay leaving others there okay and Judas was one of those sort of privileged to be elevated into this specific office that Jesus had set aside for God in his plan, Jesus, the Father and the Son together, okay? So Judas, when you look at him, you know, he remained after chapter 6. Remember chapter 6, verse 66, one of the saddest verses in the New Testament. For this reason, many of his disciples no longer followed, walked away, no longer followed him, right? Uh, they, they, in the Greek, it means they, they turned around permanently and went back to what they were doing before, okay? And they never came back. But Judas remains. He stays, okay? But he's still an apostate. See that? And Jesus says that even in that text. We're going to look at that, okay? So it's important, again, what I want to stress, and we'll keep saying this, um, you know, just to remind all of us that, because if you're like me, when you think about an apostate, you tend to think of those really vocal people who have walked away from the faith, 
and, and, and have, are very open about it. They'll never darken the door of a church again. You know, and, and anytime you bring up Christ, if they get angry or they just uh, had one man mid conversation, literally turn his back, just walk away. You know, it's trying to trying to talk about spiritual things and and I forget that. Uh, you know, so that's often what we think about as as apostates. That's not all. Sadly, it's not limited to that. It's it's there are people who name the name of Christ. They still wear the the, the Camp Jesus T-shirts and hats, right? And, and all of that, and they claim affiliation, and they're in in amongst you in the church, and yet they're apostates. And Judas was one of those. Wolf in sheep clothing. Wolf in sheep clothing. The key is, the key is, time will reveal it. That's really what Jesus is getting at in in that uh, section in Matthew seven. Sheep, uh, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. But also, uh, uh, you'll know them by the fruits, right? So, so there's two metaphors there: the trees, and 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 over time, the tree will produce its fruit, and you will it will become clear. Okay. <clears throat> so, all right, just want to say that up front. So let's get into our into our text. This this is titled uh, "Jesus Dismisses Judas Iscariot." <clears throat> I put his last name in there because there were actually two Judases, right? We're gonna actually see that um, he's gonna speak up. A little bit later on in some, in some of the upcoming, uh, one of the upcoming chapters, I can't remember where I think it may be 14, where we hear from him. And John said, Judas, not, not Iscariot, thankfully, otherwise we'd be really confused. Okay. But uh, so I, uh, he, Jesus dismisses Judas Iscariot. Okay. Our two sort of focus verses up there that, that pertain, you know, other parts of the New Testament that pertain to this. First one is uh, out of, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. The second verse that, or verses here that I'm drawing to our attention here at the top, Hebrews 10, 26 and 27, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fire and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Morning. Yes, these notes here. Do you have to wear pink today? Okay, so uh, the danger of apostasy. When we talk about someone who has who had professed affinity, affiliation, or even affection for Jesus Christ, but has since turned away and renounced that profession, we summarize this person's state with the term apostasy. Mm -hmm. This term is transliterated into English from the Greek noun. <laughs> here we go. I, I listened to it over and over again. Aposta, apostasy. Apostasia. Apostasia. Thank you. <laughs> Greek, Greek scholars. Trying to even remember where the emphasis was. Apostasia. I like spaghetti. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> There's our class clown. <laughs> yeah. In classical Greek usage, the term 
means to stand away from in the sense of departing. So it's not always a negative thing. It just means to depart, okay? Um, but the, the, the definition largely became a negative, had a negative connotation, especially as it was picked up by the church and in the Christian church later in the New Testament. <clears throat> it referred to a soldier who rebelled against his commanding officer and also came to be used to refer to a coup or defection from governing authorities. The actual word appears several times in the Greek translation of the New Testament, that is the Septuagint, and is used to speak of defection away from the one true God, Yahweh. There's two texts there in Joshua and Second Chronicles um, that are translated that way in, in the Septuagint. It is used, um, or that word is used, it is used twice in the New Testament, so that, that, that Greek uh, noun is used uh, twice in the New Testament, uh, though it is not translated by the word apostasy uh, in the English Bible or, or related, you know, like apostatized or apostated. You don't find that in the English Bible, unfortunately, in most English Bibles. Okay, uh, the, the two words where that is used in the Greek, uh, they are Acts 21-21 and 2 Thessalonians 2-3. Note those up from time. The concept appears many other times throughout the New Testament. So even if the word itself is not always used, the concept is used heavily throughout the New Testament. Okay, that's the point I'm trying to make. The concept appears many other times throughout the New Testament. For example, the entire book of Jude addresses the apostate angels along with false teachers who have abandoned the faith and led many others astray. He sternly warns believers to be on their guard for these false disciples who claim affiliation with Christ, but in fact depart from the truth of God for distractions that turn heads and hearts away from the word of God. Okay, When you read the book, the little tiny book, right? It's easy to read. Book of Jude, man, it's very forceful. He had he boy, he spares no superlatives of it. It almost sounds like a thundering Old Testament prophet railing against these guys, right? And warnings that 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 these particular apostates are still in the church. They've abandoned faith, but they're still here, right? You really got to watch out for them. Jude is probably one of the best examples of this in the New Testament. Paul <clears throat> says effectively the same thing in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. Now the Spirit says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Okay, catch on. It, this has been was interesting to me in, in, this, in this study is, is the connection at several points, Jude and, and this text particularly, between apostate angels and apostates in the church. Very interesting. That connection is made several times, and Paul does it here, okay? That these deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I think what Paul is saying there in that really short text effectively is that these deceiving spirits, these apostate angels, <clears throat> that is these angels who have 
walked away from their holy calling before God, right, to do their own thing uh, in rebellion against him, uh, are, are looking to, to, do, to follow in the footsteps of their own master, Satan himself, right? Remember in the garden, the thing that, uh, that Satan wanted to really uh, drive home with Adam and Eve was that God was somehow this miserly, selfish, um, um, dictatorial, self-centered God who really didn't care about them. You know, did God really say that you can't eat from all the trees? What does that do? That, that impugns the character of God, right? That, that calls into question the goodness of God. And Satan is still doing that, and his deceiving spirits still do that. So look out for that, right? <clears throat> and how do they do it here in this text in First Timothy? <clears throat> look how they do that. They forbid marriage. They forbid abstinence from foods that God created to be received with what? With guilt? No, with thanksgiving, right? Oh, man, this bacon is wonderful. <laughs> This this you know, bacon is really good too, by the way, right? So yeah. when when you when you when you eat all of these varieties of foods that in, in the law maybe used to be clean, uh, you know, unclean and so on, um, yeah, there were there was there was reason why God gave the laws when He gave it, but later <clears throat> that all is is set aside that 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 um, ceremonial law is set aside, right? We don't God didn't set aside His moral law, but the, the ceremonial laws. And all that, but the purpose of it was not to, you know, to keep you from having the enjoyment of bacon or whatever, right? Um, but actually uh, to separate his people from the practices of the pagan nations around them. And you, when you read all of those laws, he stresses that again and again. You're my distinct and separate people. You're a holy people. You're separate. And, well, and then, of course, there's a lot of practical reasons as well. Um, you know, a lot of those so-called unclean animals, you know, their, their meat is, if you know anything about how they live and what they eat and so on, it, you, you have to very carefully prepare the pork, particularly, right? And you can't undercook that. You can get sick pretty easily. Anyway, so, uh, yes. Um, also, Paul talks about the law. One of the purposes of the law is to uh, make us more aware of our sin. No doubt. Yeah. No, but particularly the moral law. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. The moral law, not the ceremonial. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that it, 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 it is that these these teachers in this context here, through these legalistic standards, do exactly what Satan tried to do with Adam and Eve. Uh, and, and he was successful in that moment anyway. Um, and that is basically to, okay, well, you know, God hasn't drawn the line in the right place, so we need to add to it, okay? You know, uh, and so the, the implication here is that, well, God is kind of miserly, uh, you know, and, and stiff and unapproachable, and you've really got to clean up your act. So, you know, these things like marriage, <clears throat> which implies what? The joy of sexual union between a man and a woman there and, and the pleasure of, of that intimacy, not, not just the act itself, but just the romance and the time together and the things that you enjoy, the intimacy together. Um, um, well, that's somehow bad, right? Because, you know, God wouldn't do that, right? So 
you got to note those things. You want to be honest. What does that say about God's character? You see, it so so legalism, and, and trust me, I've been in these I've been in these kinds of environments, and, and I know what that's like. And it was very liberating to me when it finally dawned on me that these things that I thought God was saying all these years were really just lies. <laughs> Because the scripture doesn't really say that. And when you that's why it's so important for us to know this book, right? Because if you don't, you can be easily sucked into and derailed, you know, like, like a train that's going along, and then and then there's an alternate path, and 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 it's just an ever so subtle shift of the track. And the next thing you know, you're off further and further and further away from the real, from knowing the real character of the real God. And, and, and have this whole created God, you know, with all of his demands, like a little tyrant sitting on his throne. Does that make sense? And that's that's what I see there in first image. That's why I think, again, that text from Paul really uh, helps us to unpack the danger of apostasy. These kinds of apostates that are still in the church and, and still masquerading as if they speak for God, but in fact they don't. Um, any thoughts about that? There are a lot of apostates today who are highly visible. Yes, yes. I mean, some are, you know, just ordinary folk, but some are highly visible, and they are very much apostates. Yes, they are. But you won't know that if you don't know this. Book. Yeah, right. You have to have spiritual discernment. Yes, you do. And you get that here. You don't get that from a feeling, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> got to be based on facts, and even even creeds. You have to be careful. I mean, there are some creeds that are really good. There's some that are not so good. Um, you know, um, knowing knowing singing wonderful hymns, even the great hymns of the faith, as good as all of those things are in expressing and packaging and, and helping us to to assimilate and digest uh, doctrinal truth. They still not replace You mentioned discernment, and that's one of the one of the things that we're missing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Other passages include Matthew 24, 10 through 12, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 2 Peter 3, 17, which also point out in a point to an increase in apostasy in the last days. Notice how. Paul starts that section in 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, what's interesting to me is that the Spirit of God told him that expressly. In other words, in, in actual words, the Spirit told him directly, in actual words. That's what that means. Okay? Uh, which is, is interesting because it was a super, super important that Paul not get that wrong, right? That the Spirit wanted to be sure Paul knew and passed along to all of us that especially in the latter days the church would um, would experience a mass apostasy. And Eric, you're exactly right. I think we see that today. We're 2,000 years later and the church has seen a lot of major turning points in its history of, of splits, you know, because of apostasy and, and so forth. And and, you know, we did a, a series years ago. It was Dr. Godfrey, by the way, Vicki, that I was trying to think of the other day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we did, we went through his series of church of church history, right? Remember that? And, uh, and and so we learned about a lot of that. But boy, today, my goodness, 
and I just commend to you, it's just interesting God's timing and all this, because if you have the GTY app, or you can go to the website, okay, uh, John MacArthur, uh, about three, maybe today, not counting today, okay, so three Sundays ago, he started a two-part series on, on defection from the church. I forget now exactly what he called it, but but he's dealing with this very subject. But he's dealing it in a very contemporary context, to where you know uh, people have these have this term exvangelical. You heard that, uh, you know, and and and, uh, and and there's others. He he gives a bunch of those. So I commend those two messages to you. They are really really good. Okay, um, in, in in helping us unpack this and think about it in a, in a modern contemporary context. But in in social media today, um, you know, whereas what kind of one of the main points he's making in those sermons is, you know, generations ago, even when, when most of us in this room were, in fact, I think all of us in this room were growing up in church, uh, you know, there was a, there was kind of a cultural taboo if you left the church. I mean, you could go from one church or even one denomination to another, but you didn't just leave church and say, I was a victim of their, you know, manipulation and, 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 control and all of this kind of thing, okay? But today, you can get on social media and, and find thousands of friends who will stand with you and, oh, yes, that's great, you know, yeah, 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 and, and, and you can label yourself an ex-evangelical or one of these other labels and talk about how, <clears throat> how liberating it is to be free from the strictures and the deception of the, the Christian church, the Christian faith. And you'll find all these well, they're kind of encouraging people. each other and they're raising affection against yes. beating each other. And, yeah, you know, that, that's just what we do sometimes. That's right. Yeah. And the devil was behind the whole thing. Sure is. And pride. And so is God. Okay. Because that is a mark of of his his wrath. Yeah. Uh, that Paul talks about, right? It says that that, that that they commit these sins and they give hearty approval to those who do. Right, they they stand around, and encourage each other, you know, with with great encouragement, stand together on this. And, That's know. a hard thing for us to see because we think these things are going to bring the judgment of God, when in fact they are the judgment. They are the judgment of God. That's right. That's right. You know, you see today about a lot of people church jumping because what can this church do for me? What kind of activities do you have? And there's nothing wrong with having a good good Sunday school class and you know senior adult class stuff like that. But it's always about what the church can do for me. I don't. I think that a lot of a lot of churches today have lost that direct. You die and go to hell. I mean, that's the basically down to the line. If you do not have him as your personal savior, you're dying going to hell. You used to have a T-shirt one time, I think, or or the slogan, "Smoking or not, it's your choice." You know, you're either going to go to heaven, or you're going to go to hell. And I think a lot of the churches have got away from that. It's a feel-good message. Yes. Yeah. I think of um, Osteen, you know. Your best life that. now. Yeah. Huh? Your best life now. Yeah. And it's yeah. like you, he makes everybody, and his place is full yeah, because sure. they want that feel-good message. I tell you, this is not a feel-good message unless you have him in your heart. Mm -hmm. And it is always a toe-stepper. He, You're going to get your toe-stepped on because the thing uh, is, the Holy Spirit He's doing his job. If you're really his, you're going to get your toe stepped up. That's right. Mine are like black and blue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when the, when, the, when the conviction of God comes through his word, there's a sweetness to it That's right. as well. Yeah. It, it, there is yeah. a pain. 
but there's a sweetness. You like, know in that. You, you, and you know it. That's right. That's right. Right. Amen. All right. Um, next paragraph there. The warning to believers to be on our guard against false teachers <clears throat> is found throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself warned many times for us to be on the lookout for false teachers who are themselves departing from true doctrine and are leading others to depart. One of the clearest and most vivid examples of this is Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7, uh, 15 through 27, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he warns us to beware of false prophets, that is, proclaimers of messages supposed to be from God, but are in fact deceiving mes messages that convey a false sense of security with God. He first paints these leaders as wolves in sheep's clothing, which I always, I always, you know, before I knew better, I always pictured like this wolf with like a sheep's skin over it, you know, kind of thing. But actually, it is a little bit of a play on words, okay, because sheep and wolves are known to be natural enemies. But that's why I put that parenthetical note there. What he really means is the vestments of a prophet of God, right? So in other words, a wool garment. So the, so they come they come dressed in the in the robe like of prophets. prophets. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the idea that, that Jesus is using to convey there. Uh, but they but who are really false shepherds who prey on the sheep and whose doctrinal error is seen in its results first in their lives then in the lives of their followers. That's verses 15 through 20. Uh, that's the tree, right? With its fruit, you know it by its fruit. Jesus warns us that the end result of following these false teachers is many false disciples who think they are saved but are not. They are condemned by Jesus when it is too late and told to depart from him because they never knew him as the Lord and Savior, verses 21 through 23. He concludes by giving us the narrow way to eternal life that few follow. That goes back to verse 14, right? Remember he says in verses 13 14 there, um, you know, enter through the narrow gate, right? For broadest way and at least construction. And so that, that what he's trying to get at is that there's so few who find it, right? There's so few who are on that, that actual true way to eternal life. But there are many who are on this broad way that, and, and, and I think John was preaching on the message of time, and he made a good point. He says, you got these two gates, the narrow gate and the broad gate, and it's not like the narrow gate says the way to heaven and the broad gate says the way to hell. They both say the way to heaven, right? The, this is the path to eternal life. But only one will get you there. One is narrow and compressed, and and you 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 can't bring your baggage and your friends. You go one. It, John likened it. John MacArthur likened it to a turnstile. But that was a good illustration. You know, when you go to uh, uh, you know, like through airport security, or maybe go into a subway or something like that. You know, and there's only one person at a time. You see, you know, the big gates that have those like fingers kind of thing, and and they'll let only one person. You, you try to go through with your luggage or your husband or you know, good luck, right? One at a time. Yeah, yeah. cattle shoot. Cattle, yeah, right. That's yeah. another good illustration, right? That's the idea. It's a compressed, narrow way. You can't come in with your baggage and your friends. But the wide way, you come in with the group, right? And you're all affirming each other. And 
and yeah, man, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. We've got everything's fine. And you just and you have teachers who condone that and, and preach that and, and uh watch out for those. What terrible words those are. Um all right, so let me finish that last sentence. He concludes by giving us the narrow way to eternal life that few will follow, namely building their faith on his words through obedience, okay? So when you take that whole text together, it took me a, a while to see the connection between, you know, enter through the narrow way, and then he talks about false teachers. And then right after that, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons, perform miracles, do all these wonderful things? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. What's the connection there? Well, it's because they're listening to the false teachers, right? False prophets are there, you know, uh, uh, like Satan's spokesman, kind of ushering and, and, and encouraging people to, to follow these other teachings. And they can come in a variety of forms. It can be legalism. It can also be antinomianism, which is the opposite of that, right? But, well, I am saved by grace. Uh, do whatever I want. I sin how I like and, and live how I like because you know God understands and you know I'm accepted in Christ and you know uh, it can come in in a prosperity kind of gospel, which uh, Joel Osteen represents sort of that sort of mainstream you know prosperity gospel light kind of thing all the way to the extreme examples of of uh, Kenneth Hagin, uh, you know uh, some of the like that you know. Um, yeah, yeah, he's really anyway. Um, yes, also, you know, because mysticism from the east, you know, is penetrating this, the, you know, the United States mm -hmm. and penetrating our um, you can see more and more of it. And where people are not, it's not like just one God, you know, it's who is your God? Or what have you made your God? Or or what are you deciding to follow now? And whatever you are deciding to follow, or who you're deciding to follow, or what spirit you've decided to follow, or whatever, because it's in so many forms that you know, then you, you know, like getting into uh states of of uh, whatever you call it, um hypnotism type thing and all that kind of stuff so that you can you know you can transform yourself you know little bits at a time to be more and more like your god because because we want it's not like they say there's there is no god you know as far as mm -hmm. like well i have my god and you have your god and then i'm becoming more and more like my god and i'm just like we're we're turning into one and I'm becoming a god and all that kind of stuff. It's just like crazy stuff that you know when you're dwelled by the Holy Spirit, you look at it and you go, what a mess. <laughs> but people really believe that yeah. and that they're becoming more and more like God. That's how I, you know, that's how I finally get to the point where I get to be with him because I become more and more and more and more like him, like that, you know, and that. It's just that's a crazy thought. I, it used to be called that, the New Age movement. I don't know if it's still called that today or not, but that's is, what it used to be called. It is new. Age, you don't, you don't hear that term as much, but mysticism yeah, stuff. And yeah, yeah, it's just it's, it's crazy stuff. But 
So it's another way of doing that as far as not following the same God as these people over here. But, you know, we've been learning about heaven and hell and all that stuff. It's just like, I don't want to follow that one. I want to follow this one that we all end up there. We all end up in a good place. And we'll end up there because we're all going to turn into the same thing, like the little gods. It's just, it's a crazy thought. Kind of taking what we, what we know, becoming like the image of God's son, Jesus, uh, kind of like the same thing, but like twisting the whole thing around. It's a, it's what it all started in the Garden of Eden when when uh, the serpent tried to convince the, yeah, yeah. to think to think you will become like God. Yeah, boy, that's that's a strong pull right there. Mormons do that. That's right. You know, that's you know, you want to become like I mean you want to become your own God on your own planet? Well join us. <laughs> you know, right. read in the right. last paragraph, there's that last word is, is paramount obedience. Yeah. You have to have obedience, okay? But you have to have obedience to the true God. And when you have that, when you submit to Him, which we all fail doing that because we still have that sin nature, but if you continue to try to be obedient to Him, you grow more like him. So that word obedience is a strong word. That's right. Now they can have obedience to their own little thing as well. Yeah. But I'm saying is obedience in scripture is very pronounced. It's it's it supposed a lot of well that's what Jesus is saying there, right? Because yeah. you know, so after after he talks about the narrow way verses 13 and 14, then he has that section on warning about the false teachers. He says, give it time, eventually the fruit of their own lives. And and here's the other thing is is okay. Here's a great way to tell false doctrine. What's its effect in the lives of people who believe it? Mm -hmm. Watch its effect. In, watch its effect in your own life. There's there are things in my own life that they start believing. Then when you start to live it out and you start thinking about the consequences of it, and and then especially if you're spending time in the Word of God, it'll start correcting that. And oh man, wow, I used to think this way and led to anxiety and other things that you know instead of I'll give you one great example is the overemphasis of um the sovereignty of man salvation as opposed to the sovereignty of God. Right? When you you know, when you first hear about the sovereignty of God in all things, especially salvation, okay. Um and, and that man has no ability because he's completely spiritually dead to respond to God in any way. It's offensive. And it's like, oh, that can't be true, right? And, and I even know of examples in, you know, in this church where, you know, we, we struggle with, I don't think here in this church, but but with close family members that are believers that still wrestle with this. They haven't quite gotten it. Because it's offensive, it's hard to to believe that but but then you know as you start to really see that more and more in scripture and the lord draws you into that for me personally one of the side effects has been okay now i understand what peace is about because the peace of god doesn't rest in some kind of magic formula that you know if i just come to church and i do the right things he'll just magically give me this here's your peace you know pill for the day you know and i just feel better because i feel better no it's because my peace is grounded in the doctrine that God is in charge of everything that happens. And like my wife said in her prayer, you know, uh, you know that, that God's in charge and we can rest in that, right? Uh, when we get to joy, we're going to study joy here. Jesus is going to talk about 
peace in here, but he's going to talk about joy as well. When we get to joy, it's the same thing. Our joy is rooted in the sovereignty of God, and, and it has to be because if it's if it's not, then it's happiness, and happiness is rooted in circumstances, okay, which ebb and flow, change. So that's just one example of of the fruit of the doctrine. What is it? What is its results? Okay, and and if it's not living up to what's promised in the Word of God, maybe the maybe if the fruit is bad, the root is bad. Right? Okay. So yes, so obedience though is Jesus holds that up at the end. He says the wise man and the, and the and the foolish man, right? The wise man is the one who, you know, they both hear. Notice that, right? Jesus will say, the wise man and the foolish man both hear my words. The difference between them is that the wise man does it, right? He takes Jesus's words seriously, and he's not saved. By obedience, but the obedience shows his salvation. He builds on the foundation of the rock. What's the rock? <clears throat> the word of God, right? The foundation of Christ, his words. And he, as opposed to the one who hears but doesn't do and builds his house, builds his life on sand. And the storm, that is the storm of the judgment of God, comes and will in the end destroy all those works. That he just talked about the people right before they say, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things? And he, he it's like the storm of God's judgment comes and blows that away. He says, I never knew you by you never took my word seriously, you never obeyed it. Okay, in John's gospel, we have already encountered many false disciples of Jesus in chapter six. In that chapter, Jesus feeds the 5,000 men with a small lunch. The next day, many of these who have been following him because of the crowds, the miracles, his sometimes gracious words. I say sometimes because his words were very offensive sometimes too. But that in Luke, uh, there's an interesting comment there in Luke 4, 22, that early in Jesus' ministry, when he was preaching in his own synagogue, they were complimenting him for the gracious words that he was speaking, right? They really liked what he was saying at that point. So, so people had different reasons for following him. That's the point I'm trying to get there, or some other reason, and were convinced that he was a triumphalistic Messiah. They were eagerly expecting. Uh, they came to him looking for more miraculous food. This is the next day, right? In chapter six, Jesus, however, is not having. Instead, he presents them with the truth that he is the bread from heaven, whom God is given to spiritually feed the whole world. They were deeply offended by his words and apostatized in verse 66. Directly after this happened, Jesus turned to the 12 and asked if they too were going to leave. Peter hit the nail on the head when he said, Lord, to whom will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Right? Many Bibles don't put that word alone in there, but it's, it's a good translation. Okay. Um, Peter understood, along with the other saved disciples, that the power of God was in the words of Jesus. Let me say that again. So important. The power of God is in the word of God. Period. Okay? It's not in the music. Good as music might be. It's not in the mood setting of let's turn the lights down and let's light up the stage and let's have a great band, which is what we see in a lot of churches today. Okay? The power of God is not in just being in a building with a cross on the outside or a church in the nation. Okay? 
The power of God is in the word of God. Peter understood that. To whom we go? Do you have the what? You have the free food? Right? John says that. That's what they were looking for. That's what, that's what the others were looking for. Yeah. They were looking for the benefits, right? Now, the danger of apostasy is uh, is exactly that. And boy, do we see it today. Yeah. <laughs> really see it today. Okay? So nonetheless, Jesus notes that one of the 12 was not a true disciple. Jesus tells us that was Judas Iscariot, the apostle of apostasy. Okay? That's what I'm calling it, the apostle of apostasy. Now, next time, we will look at uh, Judas in more detail. And what does it mean to be an apostle? Okay. Um, any thoughts about that? Hey. I just wanted to say, don't you think that even though a person means they're saved when they aren't, so that's like a lot of people who experience that. And I always think myself that maybe they know not. Not that they weren't saved, but that something's not right. I think that I mean I've talked to a lot of uh, different denominations, and they believe that they're going to heaven, or they believe you know that they're they're saved, they're going to be different or whatever. But the the common thing that I found is that even though they believe that they're saved, they feel like that something's not quite right. And I think that that's I think it. I think that's the common denominator between between all of that, you know, mm -hmm. the different anybody that thinks that they're saved and really they aren't. That's a great point. You know, I think some of the diagnostic questions you can ask to tease that out is, do you have the peace? Do you personally experience the peace that Jesus talks about? Do you have the joy that he talks about? Do you know what it is to love God? Um well, if I'm honest, no. And I think that's where a lot of this modern apostasy is coming from, is that churches for so long, in order to track numbers, have offered all of these wonderful things. So let me give you one really, I'll get to you in a second. Let me give you one really big one that I, I just saw yesterday in a video. Okay, There was a video about a near-death experience a person had. It was a, probably one of the best testimonies of this I've heard. You, you, you know about all these, right? These are people who, who, who die for some you know, minutes or maybe an hour or several hours, and they go to heaven. In some cases, they claim to go to hell, and they see this, that, and the other, and they come back, and they tell us about it. And so this guy was telling us that, and, and it was so emotional, and it was very, 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 very little the word of God in there. You know? And, and one, of the, one of the things that he said it really stood out to me, he emphasized this a lot after he was done telling his testimony with the interviewer. He was talking about the power of the presence of God. And how transformative the presence of God is. And it got me thinking of how much I hear that in a lot of churches today, okay? Where the presence of God is, but it doesn't qualify what that is. How do I know it when I see it? Is that a feeling? When I go into church and if, if the mood is right, the band is really good, and I've had enough coffee in the morning, woo, I'm feeling good. I got my spiritual, my spiritual orgasm. I'm sorry to be crude, but that's what it just kind of what it comes down to. Or maybe I didn't, I didn't quite get the feeling today, right? And so churches are promising all of these things, you know. And 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 in our Bible study uh, Friday, uh, one of the guys used the, the term hack. I thought that was really good. He said, "I have my little hacks," and you know, the people have the, 
these little hacks, these little routines, or these little traditions, or this this thing that you do. Maybe it's the music, or maybe it's not music. Maybe it's the right liturgical prayers, or whatever it is. You know that you get your 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 spiritual fix, right? And and but when they step out of that and they go through the week, and and you know somewhere in the vague fog, we've heard something about this joy and a peace that passes understanding that's supposed to help me through the week, and I don't have that. I guess to your point, right, is is something that's missing. And and I think a lot of people more and more are saying the church is failing to deliver. Christianity didn't deliver on its promises. I'm out of here. Well, I was going to say this from my experience with the Bible family is Roman Catholic. And it's really interesting to they believe that, you know, you're baptized at birth and your baptism at birth, like, Excludes you, you're in like Jesus' promise. It excludes you no matter how much you sin for Jesus to deliver you from hell, and you're going no matter what you do in your life. So, in those things, they think they're saved, they just go continue their worldly life, like you know, they do whatever they want. And it's like, you know, and it's really interesting too because there were um, a couple of people that I know, well, one I saw um, during one of the, one of, like, they, they had new, it was one of the folks that was going around the world and visiting different countries, you know, and they had this interview for this, this clip on the news about the Pope and the woman coming up to him to get some advice because she had destitute, she lost her family, all this stuff and she really needed some comfort, right? And um he was it is it was really interesting to me because rather than like comforting her with Bible verses or telling her to do certain things like you know God's promise and all this, he was like, oh you know, just keep praying. And that's that was his thing. And then recently we had this um person at work who is you know he's like really depressed and we're worried about him and you know i was talking to him like well did you know what religion are you he's a roman catholic i said well, did you talk to anybody you know well i went to the priest and he said that he doesn't like no bible verses no reference to god or jesus just oh i'm sorry i don't really know i don't really understand what you're going through kind of dismissive kind of thing and i just you know i just that just struck me, like, just because they're supposed to be, like, these, you know, um, you know, it's just, like, idol worship. It just, like, just struck me as, like, you know, you're, you're supposed to be, like, leaders of, you know, a church, a big following, and you can't even quote the Bible to these people. You can't even give, like, God's and Jesus' words to help comfort them. You know, you just have to be dismissive, and so it's just like all show. It's like you know the presentation of, you know, I don't. It was just really, I don't know. It was just really interesting to me. I was just like, really, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know. It's just, it was like, that was like, okay. Yeah, it's a good. <laughs> it's a good reminder to us. You know, I heard a, I heard a biblical counselor say years ago that that whenever he sits down with you know, a couple or an individual that's coming to counseling, he sets the word of God on the desk. He's listening to them the first time. And in the first session, they'll unpack their story, right? And it's it's just these 
impossible situation you found your, your co-worker, right? And not, I, I thought about suicide so much, and, and here's all the things that are going wrong in my life. And he, the reason he says the word of God there is just as many times I was sitting there living with and thinking, I have nothing profound to say. I mean, what do you say to somebody? And, you know, what kind of little hallmark card can I verbally give you that makes you feel better in the moment? You know? And he says, I have the word of God there to remind me that it's not my wisdom, but his, his God's wisdom. We are just, we're just those plastic containers that hold the process straight. Away. I like that. But it's but when you don't have that, what do you say? Right? But I mean, you know, I don't know. It's just, you know, they're... they're Here, let's, let's listen to praise music, you know? You know? Uh, that doesn't help me right. And it's like they can't even like give them God's word. It was like so amazing to me. Like it was just like blew this, my mind. Like, this book is not magic, it's true. Right. And you That's walk true. in it and obey it and, and look to Jesus. Don't look to me and look to faster, you know. Exactly. Go to him. You know? But they didn't even say that, you know. They're not even like go to the Bible and look at the first. Thank you, Natalie. It was crazy. Natalie, would you mind closing this in prayer? Me? Yeah. Okay. Dear Father, thank you for having us gathered today. And please take care of your Christian family. We're going to see you better as well. And just help them to be strong. Just in the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Help them to be in your words that are people that are lost. And it's just one thing. I pray that we talk with you and talk to you and see you in the world.